the history and intended meaning of this phrase goes back to the year 1900 when it was first recorded as being used. And that's the phrase to clean house or cleaning house. It began as a phrase that was used and what it meant was to reform a workplace or organization. And it would do that by removing undesirable procedures and in many cases undesirable personnel. It also would mean to overcome overwhelmingly. It was often used in sports context that when two teams would play and one overwhelmingly beat the other, they would often be said they cleaned house. And it's often used today still in political contexts. The companion phrase for it was also to put one's house in order. But today, the focus will not be on cleaning up an organization or cleaning up a country or cleaning up any type of group of people. The focus will be on cleaning up God's house. And we'll also focus on the shift in the passage we're about to read that Jesus makes, first beginning with cleaning house and then what that house actually is. John chapter 2, and I'll begin reading in verse number 13. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and other and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all of them from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he spoke of was, of, was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Verse 23, now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind where he knew what was in each person. When Jesus cleans house, Jesus enters Jerusalem at the time of the Passover celebration. This is and this was and remains one of the highest feast days in the Jewish calendar. It commemorates the miracles that Jesus that that God did specifically in bringing the people of Israel out of bondage in Egypt, focusing on the the final plague, which was the death of the firstborn, where the Jews were told to put the lamb's blood on the doorposts. And God, when the angel came through, Egypt would not have death enter that house. This feast was extremely important in the Jewish culture. Jews would come from far away. In fact, the requirement was, as far as the codes of that day, if you were within 15 miles, you had to make your way 
to Jerusalem to participate in the feast. And a sacrifice was offered, which is outlined in the book of Deuteronomy. Yet to bring the sacrificial animal, whether it be a dove or a, a, a sheep or some larger animal, would be difficult if you were coming from a long way away. So what had, had begun to arise was that the religious leadership would basically prepare animals for sale that those who were traveling from a far distance could bring the animal with them, which was actually not a bad thing to do for a number of reasons. One, hauling animals that long distance would be difficult. And two, even if the animal that you brought at the moment you left your home to head to Jerusalem was without blemish, it had to be a spotless sacrifice. Traveling 15 miles by the time it got to Jerusalem, more often than not, it wasn't acceptable any longer at least purchasing it from the religious leaders at the point of purchase, you knew it would be acceptable. Also, he talked about in this passage that there were money changers. Because in addition to the Passover sacrifice, uh, Jews of, of this time were required to pay annually a temple tax. Yet that temple tax could not be paid in Roman currency, nor in Greek currency. It had to be paid in temple currency. So, like we have today, there had to be an exchange. But what was happening, as is often the case when people get involved, this simple and helpful operation became corrupt. Often the exchange rates were extremely unfair, and the rates for the animals would tend to gouge or take advantage especially of the poor. And this was all under the authority of the temple leaders. So while corruption was prevalent, and while this dishonest environment was going on, and that is bad, that wasn't the primary issue that Jesus was addressing. The primary issue wasn't just what was going on, but where. Verse 14 says, it was happening in the temple. This was happening in God's house, specifically in the part of the temple known as the court of the Gentiles. This place was supposed to be a place of worship and a place where people could come from far and near to pray. This was a place for people also to come together and together seek the Lord. And it was being used for something else. It was being used for something that got in the way and created a conflict with the intended purpose of what that space was designed to be for. Now, while this next point can be taken too far, and I've been in, in churches where it has been taken too far, I will always embrace the truth that this is, this building, this spot is a special place. This is holy ground. This is a space that's been dedicated for the worship of God. This is a space that's been dedicated for those who want to seek God. This is a place where those can come and fellowship with one another and encourage one another as the people of God. The court of the Gentiles was being used for something, whether it was good or bad, that prevented the space from being used for what was its purpose, the reason it existed. And this was the scene that Jesus came upon. 
This was not a place where people were coming together for worship. This was not a place where people were coming together to seek the Lord. And it was not a place where people were coming together to encourage one another. It had become a carnival. It had become a barnyard scene. And I use the phrase barnyard scene because I want to emphasize, in addition to all the sight, all the associated sounds and smells that must have filled the court of the Gentiles. And Jesus was incensed. He creates a whip. Now, I want to encourage you. Oh, no, I want to discourage you. Put, put your whips away. Unless you can put together a list of justifications that label you the Messiah, I would encourage you not to go whipping people. He creates a whip and uses it. He drives out the animals. He turns over the tables of the money changers and coins are flying everywhere. I can imagine this incredibly chaotic scene. The scene had to be one of complete chaos. And verse 17 gives a hint of his motivation. And he's quoting here Psalm, Psalm 69, which reads, starting in verse number 7, For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. I am a foreigner to my own family, a stranger to my own mother's children. For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. King David, in this psalm back in the Old Testament, is, being, is, is lamenting the fact that he's being persecuted just because of how he feels about the house of God and how he feels about the things of God, looking at them as special and holy because he honors what the Lord is involved with. Anybody here ever feel that way when you look at how the world looks at the things of God? Ever get insulted at the way others look at things that you and I consider holy? Ever get incensed at the way the world looks at, even jokes about sin? And again, I'm not suggesting that Jesus' actions become prescriptive, unless you're the Messiah. And again, it isn't just zeal or having zeal for the physical place. It's having zeal for its intended purpose with the worship of God. We come to this building. We come to this place. We will come to the house of God, church, uh, the, the church of God house of prayer next week to worship the Lord. We will come there to seek his face. We will come there to learn from him. We will come there. We come here to build one another up. We come to this place to be reminded that in this crazy world as Christians, we are not alone. That is why this place exists. And that is why this place is special. And we will continue to honor this space. But what we will not do is make it an idol. We will not worship this physical space. The response to Jesus' actions was quite understandable. It's shock. They say in verse 18, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do this? They were basically saying, who do you think you are? What gives you the right? To, to disrupt what's going on here. Now, this is not a casual Q&A session. They were not just curious as to why Jesus was causing all this chaos. They were not 
respectfully asking him to provide credentials as to his authority. They were angry. This is an angry confrontation. And in responding, as Jesus often did, he responds with a curveball. Something they did not understand in verse 19. Destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Now that just paused everybody. They just came to a complete pause. Because they thought he was referring to the literal temple that he was clearing out at the moment. It had taken them over 45 years to get that particular temple to where it was, and it was still under renovation, as other parts of the Gospels will reveal. That temple was built back before, since the, the temple that Solomon had built was destroyed when Babylon had conquered Israel. This temple was built and was being even renovated now by King Herod. And it had taken them 45 years to get to this point. How can you tell me you're going to be able to rebuild it in three days? But they didn't understand. He wasn't referring to the physical space. He wasn't referring to the structure. He was referring to the temple that was himself. He was referring to the single sign and the only sign that is needed for Jesus to prove anything. And that's the resurrection. And this is the shift. Focus moves from the physical building to the people who are in it. Focus not only on the place where people seek God, but on the place where the Spirit of God lives. And that's in his people. You know the verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. The religious leaders are still focused on the statement that they think refers to a physical building. And Jesus is now moving to the New Testament dwelling place of God. And that's in his people, in each one of you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It, it, if Jesus is your Lord, the Spirit of God resides in you. You have company. You always have company. You are never alone. And since we are the temples of the Holy Spirit, since we are the temples of the living God who created everything, it is up to us. It is incumbent upon us that we make sure this temple is clean. Attitudes that would hinder the movement of the Holy Spirit need to be cleaned out. Emotions that don't honor him or thoughts that discourage his moving, need to be cleaned. Mindsets that are prone to do things our way rather than his way need to be cleaned. Learning to be led by the spirit and not by the flesh. Our nation is a mess. Oh, that deserves a name, man. We, our citizens, in a mess. But I believe strongly and I will continue to beat this drum. The answer to our nation not being a mess is not cleaning up the nation or not cleaning up the government. The answer is cleaning up the people of God and the house of God. It's the church, God's people, that need to clean house. We all know the verses from Second Chronicles chapter 7. 
if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. We jump to the heal their land part. But it's if my people, not the wicked people, not the non-believing people, if my people, who were called by my name, will turn from their wicked ways. And the problem that I see in the church world today, it's tough sometimes to tell the difference between the church and the world. It's sometimes difficult. The way the church yells and screams is just like the way the world yells and screams. Sometimes the way the church labels people is just like the way the world labels people. Sometimes the way the church uses social media is just like the way the world uses social media. Now pastor's gone meddling. We are called to be different. We are not called to repay evil for evil. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse number 8. Finally, All of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. I'm convinced if Christians followed this, 80% of their social media posts would evaporate. On the contrary, it says, repay evil with blessing. So we are to respond. It says that we should repay evil. We should address evil. We should respond to it but not the way in which we receive it. We respond differently. But pastor, don't you see how evil things are are out there? I assure you, I see clearly. But I assure you, so does Jesus. Everything that is happening today, Jesus knew would happen. Everything that is happening today hurts his heart, grieves his spirit. He experiences many of the same emotions that you and I do. But there's one emotion he does not experience in seeing all the things happen, and that is shock. He is not surprised at any of it. In fact, the Bible told us it would get bad and told us it would get worse. In fact, it would get worse and worse until the day approaches. And since we're all still sitting here, and I believe in pre-trib, we're not, we haven't seen his second coming yet which means to me it's going to get even worse as the day approaches that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try and change things when we're given the opportunity it doesn't mean that especially us who live in a nation where we do have um, obligations and opportunities to give our voice that we can change things that we should get involved but even our involvement is going to be different We're going to do things Jesus' way. Jesus loved everyone. And I hear so many Christians say, well, I love everyone. Prove it. You don't talk a certain way to people you claim to love. 
You don't criticize people a certain way that you claim to love. Jesus cared about everyone. And here's a newsflash, he still does. There have been many times over the past number of years that I have considered curtailing my social media involvement. Now, I don't do a lot of posting on social media. Most of it's for this church, just to let people know when we're having service and things like that. But I used to stay involved because I wanted to understand what was going on. And then what was going on made me sick. And I think, you know what? I don't need to be sick. I proved just months ago I can be sick all on my own. <laughs> Bless you. But then the Lord spoke to me and said, no, I need to be able to see what's going on. I need to be able to see, at least for God's people, where we need to be better. And it's gotten to a point that as I consider, and I want to underscore the word consider, when I even consider posting some pearl of wisdom, some thought that I think might be helpful. And since the overwhelming majority of the people who are in my context on social media are Christians, I'm thinking, well, this might help my brothers and sisters. And I've done that once or twice, and I have been torn apart and taken to task for one thing or the other. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're Christians. We're family. And sadly, sometimes we behave like many of our dysfunctional families. We're called to be different. If we're going to clean a house, it needs to start here. In my heart. Lord, search me. Look at my heart. Look at my mind. Look at my motives. Look at my intentions. Look at my motivation. Look at my desires. It's got to start here. Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere, and this phrase may not make a lot of people happy, but it's true. I've heard it said by others. The older I get, the less I care. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says you can determine definitively someone's Christian walk by the tribe they follow. You cannot determine definitively someone's Christian walk by the way they vote, by the people they hang with. Those can be indicators. But I'm just seeing so much in the body of Christ, people making definitive judgments. And I use terms that often get used in the law firm I work for, based on insufficient and inconsequential evidence. If I'm going to determine whether somebody is part of the family of God, I need to talk to them. I need to walk with them. I need to fellowship with them. I need to worship with them. Then I can make a determination. But until then, I'm just behaving the way the world does. And that's looking at the surface and making a judgment. And that's not what the Bible calls us to do. That's what the religious leaders did with Jesus. He hung out with the worst of society. He hung out with people that 
weren't considered good church folk. He was given as a derogatory label the friend of sinners. He wore it as a badge of honor. We need to be different. And that's where we need to start cleaning house in our minds, in our attitudes. That's why I've always gravitated toward organizations that are interdenominational, that bring the body of Christ together. I don't hold to the mindset, I never will, and if it offends you, I'm sorry, but I will never hold to the mindset that you've got to have a church that looks exactly like the one I attend and believes exactly everything the one I attend does in order for me to consider you a believer in Christ. I welcome other churches in this community. I'm good friends with the pastor at St. James Lutheran Church. I'm good friends with the pastor at Holy Jerusalem Church right down the block. They are Bible-believing Christians. Do they believe all the same things I do? No. Do I believe all the same things they do? No. Do we all believe Jesus is Lord? Yes, and I'm good with that. If we want to give this world a sign, how about our unity? How about us coming together? That's part of what I'm so thrilled about with us joining Pastor Rudy's church next week. Now, from the standpoint of basic beliefs, our churches are nearly identical. But we come from different parts of the world. We look different. And yet, we come under one roof to say that Jesus is Lord. And that needs to be the sign the world sees from us. That's part of us cleaning a house. Jesus ends this passage talking about signs. In John chapter 2, verse 23, the, the end of the passage we read before, uh, at, at the beginning. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, he, for he knew what was in each person. Signs can be a powerful way to convince other people of the reality of Jesus. Signs can be an amazing way for people to bridge a gap of disbelief. Signs can be a powerful way to prove our faith is not just some fairy tale magic, but is real and good for everyday life. But living for signs, and that's all you live for, is shallow. A true relationship with Jesus is more about who he is than about what he does. My walk with the Lord is more about his presence than about his performance. Has Jesus kept you safe from harm? Of course he has. What if he didn't? Has Jesus provided for all of your needs? I can say amen to that. What if he didn't? Has Jesus sustained you physically? He has. What if he didn't? And I can read the testimonies of Christian missionaries and martyrs throughout church history who can say, I didn't have any of that. He, my needs weren't provided for. My physical well-being wasn't sustained. And yet they continue to serve Jesus because he saved their soul and provided a way for them to be able to fellowship with God. The problem with following signs is that it doesn't create a relationship with the person. The relationship is with the signs. And if that's in his people, 
the ones who worship in his house, then it's time to clean house. And by that, I don't mean remove the people. I mean for the people to clean clean up themselves. Lord, clean everything in me, anything in me that gets in the way of you and me having a relationship. A relationship like the one you had with the Father. It's been tough in planning this series in the Gospel of John to stay in the particular text that I'm in because many of the references I want to use come from future parts of the Gospel of John, like the one I'm about to read now, John 17, beginning in verse number 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. Jesus' prayer is that the relationship he had with the Father, we would also have with the Father. And why would we have that? Well, first of all, it's a wonderful relationship to have. It's a blessing. But he says right there in John's gospel in chapter 17, so that the world would believe. Now, I'm I'm grateful for the signs. I believe fully, and at the moment, you can't convince me otherwise that the signs that are referenced in the book of Acts, the move of the Spirit that's referenced in the book of Acts, it's for today. It didn't die out with the early church. There's just no proof for me in that. But I'm not running after signs. I'm not running after specific events. I want a relationship with Jesus. I want to deepen that relationship with Jesus. I want to go forward. And if there's something getting in my way, some attitude, some perspective, some way in which I look at things, I need to clean this house. Because this is where the Holy Spirit resides. It's no longer I have to go to a building because that's where the presence of God is. We don't come here to encounter the presence of God. We come here bringing the presence of God with us. And then collectively, we can encounter his presence together. This kind of relationship with the Lord is the result of a clean temple. And that's you and I. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're not just somebody. You're somebody special. Special enough that God would live in you. Aren't you glad Jesus came into your life when you were just the way you are? Aren't you glad he didn't leave you that way? We need, in the house of God, to be willing to let the spirit of God clean house. Knowing that the end result is a closer relationship, deeper worship with Jesus. Stand with me, please.